Good morning. This is Pastor Frank with the Lunch Break Bible Study. 20 minutes. 20 minutes to get you in the Word and on your way. 20 minutes so that you can listen to this in your car, in your commute. You can listen to it at the gym. You could listen to it even on your lunch break. We are in episode two. This is the second episode we are going to spend in Mark's Gospel. Mark chapter one, we went through verse 11 last week. No, excuse me, verse, yeah, verse 11. And uh, two themes kind of played out in Mark chapter 11. The first one was that Jesus is the Son of God and that he is the fulfillment of all of the Old Testament. And we saw so many of the Old Testament prophets and so many of the Old Testament prophecies being fulfilled there in the baptism of Jesus and in the person of John the baptizer. And also the theme that we saw was the theme of new beginnings. John is serving the community of Israel. He's serving the people of Israel by baptizing at the Jordan River and a voice from heaven and says that you are my son and the spirit comes in the form of a dove. All this points to new beginnings. All this points to new beginnings for God's people. And then at verse 12, it says, at once. Now, I don't know if this is a coincidence. Maybe it is. But uh, I counted this in, in Greek, this little construction here, the word at once, immediately, straight away. This word appears 40 times in my counting. And like I said, 40 times, that's an awful uh, coincidental number. Maybe that's, uh, Mark is doing that on purpose. Maybe I miscounted. I don't know. But 40 times, at least, uh, Jesus moves at once. He moves immediately. Things happen straight away. And in Mark's gospel, we have this sense of urgency. Everything is happening immediately. Jesus is always being pressed by the crowds and moved on from place to place. And he's always moving, 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 moving. You sense this uh, real urgent mission that Jesus has. And it begins right when he gets up out of the water from being baptized. The Spirit sends him out into the desert, and he's there for 40 days being tempted by Satan, the evil one, the accuser. Now, of course, Matthew, Matthew's gospel, gives us a much broader, a much fuller explanation of what's happening out in the desert. But Mark likes to boil everything down to the essential things, right? And for Mark, the essential thing is that Jesus was there and that Satan was trying to uh, veer him away from his ministry. Satan was trying to veer him away from the path that God had set for him, and Jesus wasn't interested. Mark then includes that Jesus was with the wild animals, and angels attended him. Now, being with the wild animals, and having angels attend you, this is reminiscent, of course, I believe. This is reminiscent of the story of Daniel in the Old Testament. Like we noticed in the early part of Mark's chapter 1, this continues here, is that Mark is making allusions to the Old Testament to show that what happened in the Old Testament was pointing forward to what was going to happen with Jesus. Jesus is with the wild animals, just like Daniel had been sent down to be with the wild animals in the, in the lion's den when he got crossways with the king. And angels attended him. You remember how Daniel was rescued by the angels. The angels shut the mouths of the lions and, and Daniel was able to stay through till morning. Jesus does the same thing. And not only does he do this in the wilderness, does he escape the wild animals in the wilderness, but also 
The story of Daniel going down into that pit and being rescued by God is the same as the story of Jesus going down into the grave and being rescued by God from the grave. Then verse 14 comes and it says, After John was put in prison, Jesus went into Galilee proclaiming the good news of God. Now, Mark doesn't give us any details about that. He doesn't say who John, how John ended up in prison. He's going to say that later. He's going to explain that later. But right here, he doesn't put any of those details in. He doesn't say where Galilee is on a map. He just says that's where he goes. And, and these two things sort of give us a clue. Now, it, it is, of course, an argument from silence. But these two things give us a clue of who Mark's audience was. Mark is writing this to a group of people who are familiar with the story. They know that John had been put in prison because Mark doesn't explain anything. He doesn't tell them why, like a good storyteller would. He just says that John was put in prison and that Jesus went to Galilee, wherever that is, (laughs) proclaiming the good news of God. And then verse 15 comes, and verse 15 is super, super important. Because this is what Mark, like I said, Mark boils everything down to its most essential pieces. When Jesus is in the wilderness, Mark boils that down. He's being tempted by Satan and the angels are there and the wild animals. This is Jesus' message by Mark boiled down to its essential elements. Jesus says this, The time has come. The kingdom of God is near. Repent and believe the good news. Now, there's a couple of things that you should probably uh, know here. This word, the kingdom of God is near. In, in English, that has the sense of it's not yet come. It's almost here. It's going to be here soon. But that's not really, in Greek, that's not how the construction works. In Greek, the idea is, is the kingdom of God is upon you. The kingdom of God is happening right now. So Jesus says, again, with this sense of urgency, the time is now. The key, this is the kingdom of God. You, you are part of it at this very moment. And then he says, repent and believe the good news. Now, again, there's two more things I want you to understand about this, this phrase. Often Jesus' ministry, often his preaching is understood to be some aspect of his moral teaching. Do unto others as you would have them do unto you. You know, turn the other cheek. Uh, That is often how people characterize the preaching of Jesus. But that's not how the disciples characterize it. That's not how the evangelist Mark characterizes it. Certainly there is a moral aspect to it. I mean, no one could read Matthew's gospel and come away with that and think, well, Jesus doesn't care how you act. No. And that's where Mark captures that whole moral teaching in the word repent. Turn away from the things that you do now and turn toward God, turn toward righteousness, and believe the good news. The good news that the kingdom of God is here, that you are participating in it, that you are covered by it, that it is happening right now in your hearing. And Mark boils Jesus' message down to this one, one sentence, repent and believe the good news. And, and you know what? Here we are 2,000 years later, and, and that's basically the message of the church. The kingdom of God has come. Jesus is risen from the dead. He is ascended into heaven and sits at the right hand of God the Father. He has all authority in heaven and on earth. Repent, turn away, and believe the good news of salvation and forgiveness through him. 
verse 16. As soon as Jesus is done with this, he's walking beside the Sea of Galilee, where he sees Simon and his brother Andrew casting a net into the lake, for they were fishermen. And if you were walking beside the Sea of Galilee right around the year 30 AD or so, seeing fishermen in their boats casting nets would not be a surprise. Now here's what is a surprise. Verse 17, Come follow me, Jesus said, and I will make you fishers of men which is a nice play on word in English. I'm not sure if that really holds up in the Greek, but it's a nice play play on words in English. And at once, they left their nets and followed Jesus. There's that sense of immediacy again, right? At once, immediately, straight away. They left their nets. And now that's surprising. You know, you're out there, you're doing your job, you're, you're catching fish, you've got responsibilities, you've got to take these home, but they just drop it. They drop everything and follow Jesus. They're going with him. When they had gone a little farther, he saw James, the son of Zebedee, and his brother John in a boat preparing their nets. And you wonder if Peter and Andrew and James and John know each other. You would assume they would. I mean, how many fishermen can there possibly be in this town on the Sea of Galilee? They probably know each other, maybe competitors. But he sees, they see James and John, the sons of Zebedee, in the boat preparing their nets, And again, without delay, right, that sense of immediacy, without delay, Jesus called them. And they left their father Zebedee in the boat with the hired men, and they followed Jesus. Now, here's just a little bit of tidbit. This this is just a nice piece of commentary. I owe this to to a teacher of mine who gave me this insight. We get the idea that these guys are fishermen, and we get this idea in our head, and I don't know why, we, but we get this idea in our head that these are uh, laborers, that they are uneducated, that they don't have, uh, that, they're, that they're day laborers, they're poor, they got nothing to lose, so they follow Jesus. But that's not exactly how this text reads. They leave their father Zebedee in the boat with the hired men. They make a distinction. Mark makes a distinction between who James and John are as sons of Zebedee, and he makes a distinction between them and the hired men. You get the impression that James and John are Zebedee's sons, and it's sort of like Zebedee and sons fishing. You know, you have a boat that is owned by Zebedee, and you have men that he hires. So there's quite an operation going on here. And, you know, of course, it's not the major corporate <laughs> corporate operation that we might see today, but it's for its day, it's, it's, a, it's a bigger deal than maybe we give him credit for that James and John maybe aren't just local yokels. Maybe that they happen to be part of a family that's kind of important and well-known. And that, that helps us to make sense later when John goes to when he goes to the house of the high priest, and the high priest is inside doing things in dark and secret because he doesn't want the, the town to know. He doesn't want anybody to know what he's up to. They've got Jesus in there with the elders, and they're putting him on these kangaroo court trials. But John is so well known to the family that when the high priest is getting into some shady dealings, not only does John able to get into the high priest's house, but he's able to bring a friend too. And you get the impression that maybe James and John and Zebedee are are kind of well-known and important people in the region. But at any rate, they go to Capernaum from there, right, which is also on the Sea of Galilee. And when Sabbath comes, Jesus goes into the synagogue and begins to teach. Now, Capernaum serves as sort of a home base for Jesus in his ministry. 
Uh, as you know, he's born in Bethlehem, and he's raised in Nazareth. They call him Jesus of Nazareth. But in his ministry, we find this out from Matthew's Gospel, that Jesus spends a considerable amount of time in Capernaum. It's sort of like his home base. So he goes into the synagogue there, and he begins to teach, like many people do. But again, there's something surprising. The people are amazed. They're shocked. They're astounded. Why? Because he's teaching different. He does things differently. He teaches with his own authority. He doesn't quote other people. He doesn't rely on the thoughts of people as they have come before and other teachers. Jesus just says things, and he just leaves it to the, to the crowd to believe it. And they're very surprised at this. And, and I try to put myself in sort of their shoes. I try to put myself in their, you know, imagine what their life is like as this happens. And, and I have you ever been in a situation where somebody is talking and you and your friend are in a room and someone's talking and they say something kind of outlandish or unexpected or surprising or just maybe flat out wrong? And you look at your friend and your friend looks at you and you both kind of make your eyes really big and you maybe break eye contact and look at the floor. That's the kind of impression Jesus is giving. And it's shocking what he's doing. I can't believe anybody's talking like this. As if he had his own authority. As if he wasn't just any teacher. And where does he get authority like this? And then verse 23, just then, right? Again, immediately, everything's happening all at once. Just then, a man in the synagogue who was possessed by an evil spirit cries out, now, what is a demon-possessed man doing in the synagogue? Was he possessed before he came in? Was he possessed while he was there? What's the story here? Who knows? But he cries out, What do you want with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? Because I know who you are. You are the Holy One of God. And now we have three witnesses in the first chapter of Mark that claim to know who Jesus is. You have this evil spirit who is afraid of Jesus, right? Who sees Jesus as a threat, and rightly so, we'll find out in a second. You have John the baptizer, a prophet of God, who claims that Jesus is the one who is to come, the one whose paths he came to make straight. And you have the voice from heaven, the Father, saying, you are my son, with you I am well pleased. And on the evidence of three witnesses, of course, if you remember your Old Testament lessons, on the evidence of three witnesses, or do we make judgments? And now we have three witnesses, and right here at the beginning of Mark's gospel. Verse 25, Jesus says something interesting. Be quiet. And your translation may say, he says sternly, or he rebukes. I have the privilege of, of working around children. We have a preschool at my church, and uh, you, you, know, you're never gonna, you never know what the kids are going to say. You never know what they're going to tell you, but and, and I wish I remember which kid what this was, but I, I remember this very vividly. This little kid comes to me and says that he, he's, he's not tattling, he's reporting, right? There's a big difference there. He reports that one of his classmates, a little girl, had used, she, she had used the S word. <gasps> the S word. I couldn't believe it. And I looked at him and I said, what did she say? And he says, she said, shut up which was a strong rebuke. He had been warned by his parents never to say such a thing. It was a terrible thing to say to another child. So he was reporting this grievous, this grievous uh, uh, break in, in etiquette. 
But that's basically what Jesus is doing here to this demon. He rebukes the demon. He speaks sternly to the demon. He says, be quiet. Basically, he tells the demon, shut up. Come out of him. And he just gives this command. Again, with authority. Not as someone, not like a prophet who prays to God and has, and has to, and has to uh, receive, his, receive his power from on high. Jesus has this power within himself. He says, come out of him. And the evil spirit doesn't argue. It doesn't fight. It doesn't put up a fight. It just shakes the man violently and comes out with a shriek. It doesn't come out quietly. He doesn't leave without a fight, but he leaves nonetheless. And this is common. You find this in other places in Matthew's, in, in the Gospels as well. When Jesus commands a demon, they don't leave quietly. I wonder that so much of the evil and so much of the chaos we see in our own world I wonder how much of that is because Satan is shrieking and leaving us violently. Satan has been conquered by Jesus. Jesus rose from the dead, conquered sin, conquered death, conquered the grave, conquered Satan. And as Satan is leaving, and he is, as he awaits his final judgment, his power is reduced, it's felled, but he is shaking the world violently and coming out with a shriek as he awaits his judgment. Maybe. At any rate, the people were all amazed. Again, there's that amazed word. They're just shocked. Cods walloped, flabbergasted, (laughs) gobsmacked. They are amazed. And they ask each other, what is this? A new teaching. And with authority, he even gives orders, right? He gives orders to evil spirits and they obey him. This definitely shows that Jesus has authority. Definitely shows that he is in charge. He's not merely from God. He has God's power and authority in himself. And that's going to be a little, uh, a little mystery to unravel. And of course, verse 28, news about him spread quickly over the whole region of Galilee. And are you surprised? Are you surprised at all by that? That news of Jesus would spread quickly over Galilee? I'm not. That's exactly what I would expect. If something like, ha- like that happened in my church, on my street, in my hometown, I would tell everybody. And they did. And that's where we're going to end today with uh, Mark chapter 1, verse 28. Uh, This is Pastor Frank again with the Lunch Break Bible Study. I I hope you're enjoying this. I hope you uh, appreciate it. Um, One thing that you can do, uh, you can reach out to me. uh, I have an email address, lunchbreakbiblestudy at gmail.com. You can also find me on Facebook. Uh, It's facebook.com slash lunchbreakbiblestudy. Uh, you can reach me through either one of those. If you have a question, if you have a comment, I'd love to hear from you. Uh, one way you can help the podcast, if you're really enjoying it, you can give it a review. If you give this thing a five-star review, that really helps other people find it. Um, if you uh, like and share, I plan on putting these uh, links to these podcasts online on Facebook. If you find that, you can like it, you can share it and uh, let your other friends know about it. That, that helps immensely to get this, to get this word out. Um, I just really like talking about the Bible. I like sharing the things that I have learned, and, and I hope you enjoy listening to them. I'm Pastor Frank, and I hope you have a blessed, blessed day.